Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So, uh, team sports. Team sports are a huge part of what we do in our culture, right? You can look all around, and no matter what sport it is, team sports are a huge deal. And if you weren't involved in a team sport in your life, you've probably at least been involved in like a group or an organization or even a workplace where there's like a team environment, right? And where you end up playing off one another or needing one another for different reasons. So who in here, just raise your hand real quick, has been involved either in a team sport or you're in a group or a workplace where you have to work with a team of people, right? So pretty much all of us have done that. There's not really anyone who makes it through their life where they haven't had to be a part of a team of some sort. And it's interesting because teams, when we play off of one another, there's this principle at work in these situations that a lot of times we don't want to admit because it means we have to admit weakness. But the reality of a team is the idea, it's, it's just this truth, this principle, that my weaknesses exist and left to myself, my weaknesses will be a liability to whatever degree that we as a team need to accomplish this task. So I'm a part of this team with you because your strength makes up for my weakness. And so it's actually out of my weakness that I need the team that then makes me stronger in order to accomplish some sort of a goal. And usually overcome whatever weakness is in my life, right? So there's this really incredible principle at work about teams and how they require us to acknowledge our weakness to be a part of a team. And, and we don't consciously do it all the time. Sometimes it's a very subconscious thing where I realize I need people, but I don't acknowledge that it's because I'm weak in a certain area or weak in general that I need a group of people around me. And this principle is not just a random, general, humanistic principle. It's actually something that's built into us, created into us, that was, that was something God did. He made us this way on purpose. And so this morning, as we've been tracking along, we've been doing uh, truths or talking points each week where it ha- uses re-something, like re And this morning, it's redeem weakness for strength. So I'm going to have you all say that with me this morning throughout our talk, but redeem weakness for strength. Will you all say that with me? Redeem weakness for strength. And that's the truth of scripture this morning that we're going to read, is we're going to see an example of how weakness is actually redeemed for strength, or an attempt is made at it in Matthew 26, and that that principle applies to our lives as well. That principle applies to how we relate to one another. And so God created us this way, and we actually see it emulated by Jesus in Matthew 26. The end, almost to the end of 26, we get 36 through 46 is this story of Jesus in the garden leading up to, leading up to his arrest. So Jesus is about to be arrested and go through that whole sequence of events, which on the timeline of things is coming up in a couple weeks. 
um, that we look at that and celebrate that as a church. So this is right before that. Jesus in the garden with some of his disciples. This is what it says starting in verse 36, and it's on the screens. And uh, if you could follow along as my child continues to scream and be excited, which is a good thing. We should be excited. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. This is what uh, Matthew's gospel says. Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. I had trouble pronouncing a word last week too, didn't I? Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and into our lives through your word. Um, these scriptures teach us truths, not just about who you are, but who we are. And we ask that you would implant those into us this morning, that you would encourage us into the likeness of your son Jesus, that we might be more like him, love others more like him, sacrifice ourselves more like him, and ultimately, please you more like him. And we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is the Son of God, right? That's, I mean, Jesus is God in flesh. We learn all of that. If you read the Gospels, up until this point, you already know that. If you'd been reading this story, like you're sitting down at night to read this story, you would have already known Jesus is claiming to be God himself wrapped in flesh, in human form. So God himself wrapped in flesh, is saying to his disciples, I need you to pray for me because my soul is crushed even to the point of death. Think about that for a second, that the God of all creation, the God of the universe is saying these words. This is not just a random person saying this, a random normal human saying this. This is God wrapped in flesh saying how difficult what he was going through is right there in this moment. And then he reminds them, as they did end up failing him in that effort to pray, he reminds them, it's not the spirit that is weak, it's the flesh that's weak, it's the body that's weak, 
the spirit is willing. There's something inside you, your soul, your spirit, that desires this deep connection with God and others, but your flesh ends up being weak and causes you to give in to these temptations before you. So Jesus himself, God himself, is living out this principle that's at work in creation and in even God himself, right? If you look at the teachings of Christianity, we are not just teaching about a general God. We're not teaching about a Hindu divine power. We're not teaching about a Buddhist God. We're not teaching about even a Muslim or a Jewish God. We're teaching about a God who is three in one. It's one of the most unique descriptions and expressions of the divine, of God. And this God who's three in one, who expresses himself through a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, somehow is one, but at the same time exists in three different ways, so that God himself, God and we use personal pronouns like him, even though we know God is beyond gender in that case, right? So God himself, as best we can use language to describe him, is community, is relationship, is this idea of I'm in this with one another, fighting for one another on behalf of one another. So God himself has existed that way and then creates humanity into that same sort of existence. Think about that. Creates Adam and then Eve into this idea that you're going to need one another. You're going to be so inextricably tied to one another. You're going to need one another. You're going to need deep, meaningful relationships that are undergirded by by the Spirit of God himself that then cause you to fight for one another, to go to battle for one another, to, to be there for one another, to challenge and lift each other up, to, to be there in each other's times of need. And that this principle, this spiritual principle, relates to the third part of our, our mission statement when we talk about banding together. So week one we of this series relent we talked about god's spirit needing to rely on god's spirit completely and that was our ultimate goal of kind of the mission statement where we talk about that one more might be made new you'll see one more made new all over the place in fact before i forget we got stickers and you can take a sticker with you and they're lots of fun i love stickers so um one more made new it's the idea of transformation right complete transformation not just a one-time conversion event not just like oh i know who jesus is but becoming like Jesus, this being made new, and that each of us, we become that one more, that one more person that God's running hard after in order to make us like Christ. So the first week we focused on that because that's the end goal. That's, that's the ultimate goal. That's where we're headed. And how we feel God is leading us to go that direction. Week two, we talked about our first part of the mission statement of seeking all people, all people, no matter who they are, we're going to go after them. We're going to seek them out just as God has sought us out, right? And we looked at, um, tied into that, the idea of baptism. So the first week, it was the light, the candle. Why do we light the candle? Because of the presence of God. Second week, we talked about baptism, a very practical expression of seeking all people, that we're offering them a relationship with God, and baptism is an expression of how God has run after us 
His grace to come after us before we even knew He was there. Then week three last week, we talked about, um, we talked about gathering at the table. We celebrated communion together, which was the kind of initiation of the church. Jesus sat around a table, explained to His disciples what He was about to do, what He was about to accomplish for the world, and they gathered at this table together, and then every time they would gather at a table together after that, they would remember. They would remember what Christ had accomplished on their behalf, right? So we gather at the table. We invite people to gather at Christ's table and to remember what he has accomplished. And then our third part of that, seeking all people to gather at the table and band together. The banding together is this right here. It's this idea that Jesus himself looked to Peter and the sons of Zebedee, I think it was James and John, um, looked to these three other guys to go with him into the garden to pray for him. Now, they didn't follow through. They gave in to temptation. They, they ended up failing Jesus in that sense. And yet, he was inviting them into that sort of a deep relationship with his father and with him, saying, you have the ability to be my spiritual strength on my behalf in prayer i mean it's just think about that think about the magnitude of god himself looking to humans to come be in relationship with him in that way that is just mind-blowing and yet that's what god is offering to us in christian community as we look to band together with one another as we look to live this out among ourselves and we begin to actually come together in close-knit groups with one another, it's not just that we're forming relationships with one another. Like, that's a part of it. But actually what's happening is we're together forming a relationship with God. It's as if Jesus looks at a little group of people and says, would you come together with me? And that's the expression of Christian discipleship. That's the expression of banding together. That's the idea that we then become the actual people of God, the actual expression of God, the actual image of Jesus for the world. So I've seen this play out in my life in different ways, in different ways, and I didn't even recognize it early on. It took me a while to identify, hey, this is what God's doing. He's doing something more powerful than just surrounding me with friends, right? Than just surrounding me with this general group of people that call themselves Christians that are there every once in a while for me or there just in my time of need. Know that there's something more at work where he's forming me deeply through these people to be more like him. So one moment I, can, I, I always will think back to the rest of my life, I was in school getting my master's degree in seminary, and I was working at a church. So it was like this time of my life where I'm, hey, I'm preparing myself to go into ministry, and I'm working at this church, I'm in seminary, and, and we're a part of this church where an incredibly horrendous situation happens and we end up um, among a group of a handful of people who um, basically I mean it was one of these church hurt situations where we basically get um, excommunicated from the church we had found that there was a situation going on that was not good and we voiced it a small group of us voiced it and it was a very inappropriate situation going on and Basically, the leadership of the church wanted to cover it up and wanted us to go away. And we were publicly crucified in front of a group of people, in front of, in front of hundreds of people. My wife and I and several others were 
named from the stage and all of this stuff while we sat there and had to go through it. And um, it was a very difficult thing to walk through, right? I wasn't willing to just walk away. I still believed what we were doing was right. And so I saw it through. I had to sit among a group of people who basically hated me for an entire month to make sure this person who I knew was in the wrong left before I did. So at least they weren't around anymore to hurt anyone else. I mean, it was, it was that kind of a thing where I said, no, I'm not going anywhere till they go, even if it means these people hate me. I mean, they really don't like me, and yet I'm on staff. <laughs> it was a really difficult situation. And I remember breaking down in one of my seminary classes. I mean, just completely breaking down as our, pa- as our I call him a pastor. He was our professor, but he was very pastoral. And he, he went into a time of prayer to close out the class that night, and I just started sharing what was going on, and I just broke down in front of all my seminary friends, which was awkward in and of itself. And yet, it was in the moment of that breaking down that then they all surrounded me and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my seminary time, that these group, this group of people would actually be my strength in the midst of this moment of weakness, right? Where I knew I needed to be strong, but I didn't know where that strength was going to come from powerful. Now, how that has shown up in my life in recent years is in a much more consistent version of that, this idea of banding together. So that was kind of a one-time moment with some people I knew were strong and surrounded me. But the idea of coming together consistently is totally different. It's not just a one-time moment. It's not just a one-time, hey, I'm weak and I need people to surround me to lift me up. It's an ongoing, hey, I know I'm weak all the time. I know I have things in my life where God needs to form me deeply, but I can't do it. I can't do it, and I need other people to fight on my behalf for that to happen. And these bands that develop, these small groups of people, the imagery I like to use is wartime imagery. And it's difficult but because most of us have grown up in a generation where we haven't known war necessarily. We've, we've sent some off to war in the Middle East, so we know some, but you know, not like previous generations who sent off their kids, you know, in mass to give their lives for their country. We've known some of it, but the wartime imagery is important because what happens when a group of people go to war with one another, there's a bond that happens in the midst of a life and death situation that's unbreakable. And so even when those people came back to America, right, and went to their normal everyday lives, that bond didn't go away. They may not see each other for months, years, and yet the depth of their connection was always there, right? And in a moment's notice, they could once again be at that place. Have you ever had anything close to that in your life? Have you ever had a friend or friends in your life where, like, you just always picked up where you left off, even if you didn't see them, even if you didn't talk to them? I have some of those friends in my life, right? And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus is going here for his disciples. That's what he's wanting to teach his disciples. It's what they end up actually learning when the Holy Spirit comes later in the story as you read through the Bible. And, it, and it's actually what the core of what it means to be Christian and what it means to look like the church is. It's this image that we're all these bands. The, the most beautiful image that Jesus uses of it is of a fishing net. When he tells his disciples, specifically Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men, it's not pole fishing. As Americans, we're so used to pole fishing, and so we always think of that. They fished with nets, and the imagery of a net was intentional by Jesus. What's a net? 
It's a whole bunch of knots. It's just a whole bunch of knots. It's rope that's made into a whole bunch of knots. And all the different knots put together make this net. And Jesus says, it's this net. You are the net. It's this net that I'm going to use. The net of all of you, the little knots, the little circles, the little bands, whatever language we want to use. Small groups gets used all the time. Whatever. These, these groupings of you where you are knotted together on behalf of the gospel. I'm going to use that and I'm going to sweep you through the ocean of people that exist in the world. And I'm going to fish for people with you. I'm going to catch other people in my net and my net is you. It's an incredible image and it's and it's an image that we long to emulate. And so we, this morning, will look at how we're going to relent to that. That is something we need to relent to. It's something we need to give in to. That we need to say, okay, it may be an uncomfortable step at first for me to have those kind of deep relationships with people because those deep relationships require transparency and honesty and admitting when I've done wrong and allowing someone to check me when I've done wrong, like allowing someone to actually come to me and say, hey, you messed this up, we need to figure this out. That's difficult. That's not an easy thing to do, but the only way to a relationship with like, like that is to do that, right? The only way is to do that. And so this morning, we are going to focus in on that and hone in on that. That strength, that hope, that joy that all of these things Scripture describes that we long for, that seem like they're out of grasp a lot of the times, are within grasp if we'll allow God to form us deeply through His presence in our life, and specifically His presence in our life as we gather together with other believers. As we gather together with other believers in large groups like this morning, but especially as we gather together with a handful of people, a small group of people, a band of people, to be formed deeply into the image of Jesus. The, the goal is transformation. The goal is becoming like Christ. It's being made new, right? It's not just some sort of one-time decision, or it's not just some sort of fire insurance so I don't go to hell, right? All of these things that end up getting somehow into the church are just shadows of what really Jesus wants to do, right? What really God wants to do in my life. And so this deep forming into what it means to be like Christ, so that even when your soul is crushed, think about those words of Jesus, my soul is crushed even to the point of death, will you pray for me? Will you go to bat for me? That's what Jesus was looking to these guys for. And that's what we begin to look to one another for as we're formed deeply in these relationships.